Okay, well, welcome to QT Conversations. This is what we do on Thursdays at 11. We have a wide and rambling exploration of tutoring. And the theme that I've chosen for today for really sort of, you know, because of what's on my mind is why we must always be learning. Um, and we've just had a little bit of a chat warming up the room and Kamal's just said to us very helpfully that he's just completed a training on uh, mental health first aid. So Kamal, can you tell us what you covered and how it helped please? Oh yes, it was it was a real eye-opener. It's, I mean, I, I would recommend it to anyone, uh, every, everyone. Uh, and it's, uh, what, what I learned, the big, biggest thing I learned was you know, people say mental health as it's as if it's a problem. Oh, you've got mental health. That means something wrong with you. No, we all have mental health, but it's a spectrum. It's a spectrum and there's two aspects. There's mental illness and mental health. So you could have, uh, you could be severely, uh, you could have bipolar or schizophrenia, but you could be, have well-being. You could be functioning. And, and also conversely, you could have, um, you could be well uh, in terms of mental health, but you could be unable to to function. You just won't, don't want to get out of bed. So that's, that was a real eye opener. And yes. the important thing is to to have um, you know some kind of uh, mental uh, wellness action plan. You know, and we should all do that, especially if you're in a school or you're you're doing in a, in a stress stress uh, stressful situation mental health action plan and that that is you know to keep yourself in a healthy place and i i i do that you know just take, taking physical exercise and things like that it really helps you and when you do these things you realize how how you you could be going down downhill so just just a brief summary. So healthy, so helpful. Thank you so much. And I love that it affects the way that you support students and the way that it's you support yes. yourself, right? Yes. Um I think um, I think that that piece around we all have mental health and we're moving through a journey of mental health, you know, every day. We were just talking on the WhatsApp community this morning, which you guys should all be part of because it's fun and silly. Um, we were talking about who's feeling like a Tigger today and who's feeling like Eeyore. Yeah. Um, and, and that sense that there's a little bit of each one of us, you yeah. know, a little bit of rabbit and a little bit of piglet. Um, and, and each of the characters in each one of us. Um, my my son, those of us who were in the meeting this time last week will know that my son was just suspended um, for thumping the boys that have been bullying him. I know, Jenna. I know. Oh, I, I've, heard, I've heard of such things happening. I've heard, is, you need to go and fight, really. This okay, happened so, to one of my students. Yeah. They respond and this, this mother went and fought like hell. Yeah, and she, she, she got it to everyone's to know. Yeah, so so it's complex because yeah. to be honest, having some time at home is exactly what he needed. So um, I don't particularly mind the suspension, but I feel like it's useful to share with you what we've done in the in the meantime, which is, is um, our wonderful uh, coach in the qualified tutor community, Jacqueline McGill. So she and her sister um, Lorna have been running supervision circles for us. So they are very very wonderful coaches for tutors and for children what i've done is i've taken a half hour block daily for her to work through what mistakes look like how to uh, manage your fight flight or freeze um instincts um and, and all these different words for it and 
because she's worked with him in the past, she's taken him off camera. It's only on the phone. We're running a WhatsApp group. So my husband and I are listening in the background, but he is doing all the talking and the thinking, which means that it's sort of cracking the conversation open for the whole family. And it's been a really, really, and we're three sessions in. He doesn't have to go to school to the end of next week, but it's been a really important process for me in terms of learning, in terms of learning how to help him. Um, and, and that's what's really bringing this whole process of, of always be learning into my mind at the moment. But Rosanna, you and I were talking about always learning recently. What are your thoughts on the subject? Yeah, I think it's so true because I think sometimes, it, this is me putting my philosophy hat on here, but <laughs> we kind of think that, you know, oh, we know the most, that you know, the main things that we need to know about a subject and it's fine, we don't need to carry on. But yeah, thinking about it from a philosophical lens, um, a lot of philosophers, including Socrates, said that the true wisdom is in knowing how much you don't know and just being open to learning. Because the second that you get complacent and you think, yeah, I'm, I'm good on this, you know, I've got a certain degree of knowledge enough to pass, you know, be passable in whatever it is I'm doing. That's when the danger kicks in and you kind of think, oh, I know it all. And then therefore, if you think that there's no impetus to go out and learn and think about, you know, how can I be kept on my toes and stuff like that? So yeah, I That's think it's, awesome, it's so important. Just unpack for me, what's the danger, the danger that kicks in? Yeah, I think that just, I mean, worst case scenario, it might come across as a little bit arrogant. Like I know enough about this, I need to do that. And you can come across as, I think personally, a little bit abrasive, which is not good for obvious reasons because it gets in the way of building relationships and things like that. Um, and then I think the other dangers would just be that you're not reaching your potential probably as well. And you're not getting to where you can actually go because you've just got this assumption that you know everything that you need to, so. Awesome, Jan, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just thinking it's not just about always learning, but also what to learn okay. is another big thing because I feel like in most of school settings, students are really limited to the subjects they're learning, but not really the like more holistic learning of for example, some softer skills, collaboration, leadership, communication skills, all of these things. I don't think like the school system has too much support on that, especially, I mean, I'm maybe talking uh, more from the China perspective uh, in school in China, it's so overwhelmingly focused on exams. So <sighs> not just about all the soft skills that so necessary for the students once they graduate from school. And for me, I always take myself as a lifelong learner it's not just about you know you graduate from school and that's done you're always learning new skills every day so I feel like it should be like a a like a dead identity for everyone to become a lifelong learner but also what matters what you learn yeah I totally hear that I think culturally it's quite interesting because um we pay better lip service to soft skills in the UK um but in terms of practically making it happen our systems really struggle to enable us to, to 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 create collaborative learning experiences and peer feedback and all of those things that we know are really helpful um you know 30 in a classroom facing one teacher competing for attention doesn't lend itself to that so there's 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 more to that than 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 uh, than is assumed anna what does um, always be learning mean to you to me, it really is um, impossible to separate teaching 
and learning. I think, as the Romans used to say, they had a saying that was docendo discimus, which means while teaching, we learn. And it mm -hmm. truly is the case that it's very difficult to teach without learning anything. You can't teach well unless you are learning. And probably some of the best learning in my life has happened while I have been teaching and I've been given like a new text or I've needed a new way to approach something. And that's when the best learning has taken place because it's also focused learning. You want to know more about something in particular so that you can teach it better. Sorry, my so, uh, is being I feel like it's going ridiculous. from the sublime to the ridiculous, but from the Romans to Stephen Bartlett. Um, so he, he talks there, his law too, is to master it, you must create an obligation to teach it. So um, so his yes. approach is, uh, I think he was doing, you know, a tweet a day or whatever it was. That was his challenge that he set for himself. I wouldn't dare go on Twitter. I'm terrified of it. But um, but the, the concept of knowing it well enough, mastering something well enough to teach it over exactly. is the flip side of what you're saying, right? On the one hand, you can't teach if you're not learning, if you're not in learning mode. Um, but on the other hand, you can't necessarily learn it unless you can teach it. Yes. So um, presumably you sometimes put your student in the in the role of being the teacher. Well, in fact, I, I was just going to say sometimes my homework is like, go explain to your mom what the accusative is. And the mom doesn't know any Latin. So it's like a really interesting <laughs> situation. And that's a homework. And then the mom gets back to me and said, well, this is how they explain it. So the student needs to think through ways of explaining it rather than just repeating what they have in their notes. Yeah, yeah I really love, Anna, what you just said. Like, uh, I don't know whether you have heard about the concept called protege effect, just like uh, you serve as a mentor and then you teach something you just learned to a mentee. And, and that way you actually need to digest the knowledge yes. very deeply and then explain it in a way that, other people can easily understand. So I think yeah, that's one of the best ways to teach. I really love that concept. Oh, fantastic. There's a model as well that I was reminded by Stephen Cox, who did our keynote at BET. Sorry, Anita. Um, and he calls it one, two, three, teach, um, which means that you take a group, you split them into three sections. Each one gets to learn one key piece of information. And then you recombine the group so that you've got one person from each group working together and they teach oh, each right. other their piece. It's beautiful, right? It's amazing. Oh, I used to do and it I've done all the time. It, you used to do it all the time, right? It's, yeah, yeah, I called it's it the It's for year six and above. Go on. Oh, I used to call it the, the activity was called the experts and the students loved it. And they were like, oh, are we going to play the experts today? It's like, yeah, yeah. we're going to play the experts. So that's beautiful because what we've done now is we've we've brought together the concepts of teaching and learning. So we started off by talking about always be learning. And I was sure we were going to be talking about professional development. But what we're actually talking about is the learning process and how it interplays with the teaching process. My next question to you is about how. So, so how we learn, because sometimes I'm an audiobook person and I'll just go through my day and I'll be absorbing concepts. And that works really, really well for me. And then I literally fill my tank full. I, I feel like my brain is like sloshing with too much information. And I have to stop like when you overwater a plant and you have to let the water seep in. So, so for me, I sometimes like let my brain lie fallow for a bit. Um, and and I and I, but I'm very aware of those strategies. Anita, can I call on you? What strategies do you have to always be learning? 
I think videos are really, really good. That's that's helped me massively just recently. So one thing I wanted to share as well is just the, the value in actually sharing with students when something isn't going right for you and you're finding something challenging and difficult to do, because that just kind of makes you feel more human, doesn't, doesn't it? So it just kind of helps them understand that even though you've done your exams and even though you've got through those hurdles that they may be, they may be facing, there are still other challenges that you've got to face as an adult. So that, that that learning process just doesn't ever finish, does it? So you've got, to, you know, sharing that with them is really, really useful. But no, I think that the idea of kind of just, you know, there's so much information out there that can help guide. And I think as well, that that's a really good thing for, again, students to see if you are using videos to support your learning and your development, that is an option for them as well. So it's it's just all kind of filters down to strategies that they can use independently of you when you're not around. So, yeah. I think that's beautiful. And definitely that that independent piece is so powerful. But for me, that 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 idea of showing them that you're still learning. Yeah, that, I had a really that, difficult. Yeah. Why is it difficult? No, no, I'm just saying that when, when you can actually say to them, look, I, I've had a really difficult moment that I've had to deal with, and this is how I've had to deal with it, because actually without dealing with it, I'm stuck. And and so, yes, it's not exam related, but it's related to my future. It's related to my business, you know, so it just keeps me stuck. So, so I've had to go. Are we? Are we, about, are we talking about tax and self-assessment? <laughs> it usually <laughs> is. <laughs> No, it's tech related. It's tech Definitely. health, you know. Yeah. So you know, and just sort of saying to them, my brain doesn't, you know, yeah, it, my brain doesn't compute it very easily. But actually, having made myself go and do this and learn this skill, I'm now independent of somebody else having to come into my business and pay somebody else to do this stuff. I can do it on my own. So I had a student the other week that moaned at me because. There was it's web related. So she's moaning at me because there's nothing on my website for her to play games on. And then I put a page together and oh, my God, I was so proud. And I just went and told everybody this is what I've done. You know, and it's like, you know, being being in their shoes with us, please. We want to cheer you as well. <laughs> it's just hilarious. But but yeah. it just, you know, when you actually say to them, look, you know, I've had a really difficult moment and this is what I've had to do to overcome it. You just seem more normal to them, don't yeah. you? You're not that really kind of crazy teacher that's giving them hell all the time, making them do like crazy things. It's just yeah. it's it's just part of life. That's really interesting. So we talk about, you know, being the guide on the side. Right. Or we talk about being the sage on the stage and how the sage on the stage is sort of on a pedestal and distant. And the guy, I know, right? And the guy, but, but but sometimes if you need to, you know, direct instruction, if you need to explain something clearly, you do mm. sort of need to be in that yeah. role, yeah, but not yeah, for yeah. too long. And you need to sort of clamber down. And, and it's too easy to sort of accidentally be up there when it's much more helpful to be alongside them. Um, there's a lovely phrase that I came across in my um, NPQH, which was being the lead learner. So in an organization, the head teacher should be the lead learner. Yeah, so that the other teachers feel that that's that that's what good looks like. Being a learner is what good looks like, um, and so too in a tu tuition group, the tutor should be the lead learner over there. Mm. Jenna, what are your thoughts? Lots. Um, <laughs> I think that learning is what makes us human. 
and in everything you do there is always something to learn no matter how confident you feel no matter how everyday something is there's always something different something new something that's interesting even if that's just a question and I think that questioning is kind of that that first step um, and if that means that you end up with a list of questions in your head or in your phone or um, I have blackboards and notice boards around my house filled with, <laughs> with questions. If you don't look them up, that's okay. You're still wondering about things. Um, but I do set aside time to Google questions and I do that with all of my students. We have what is now called a, a permanent whiteboard um, by some of them, but I, I use a commonplace book where you just jot down everything in one place. And we always use the back pages for questions, no matter how random, how irrelevant. If you've got a question, if it's directly relevant, ask it. If you're not sure, ask it, but we write them all down. Um, and as part of my tutelage, we always spend time, and that's usually their homework. So it's not like proper homework, is to go and Google them and see what you find. That's fantastic. So that mindset of curiosity and not chucking out that curiosity, but actually giving it its space. Oh, absolutely. That's beautiful. And if you think about Anita, you know, she had a point of need, right? The, the website and the child and the game. Um, and that created this need. And you're saying that these questions that come up are this sort of openness, this curiosity. I'm wondering whether that's a discipline in itself. Oh, I'm yeah. Whether, yeah. So go on. Tell me about that. And I think it comes from two places. So often for those of us who have experienced the joys of traditional or mainstream education in that process, questioning curiosity is often quashed. And even if it's not direct or overt or in a problematic or mean way, teachers, regardless of what kind of how whether it's a private school or a state school or how um how you know academic your peers are there's never enough room to ask questions and certainly not in the way that we do as children look at most toddlers they're always asking why and that's part of development and for us to quash that for so long it takes a lot of unlearning and i think that one of the, the kind of side effects of that societally, whether you've been through that education system or not, is very internalised. We don't realise we're doing it. We don't realise that we're suppressing questions, that we're choosing to ask ourselves questions or acknowledge that we have questions about something. Because even in a professional environment, especially those like slightly more traditional ones, you don't have that reserved, set, protected space and time for it, to just throw random ideas out there, to throw random questions, no matter how crazy they might seem. And there's always this thing that you have to think about what others are gonna perceive of you and things like that, and not just ask it. So, and, you know, it, there's this whole trend about um, um, catering to your inner child and bringing your inner child out. And it's kind of part of that. And I find for me, um, as someone who, is thoroughly neurospicy. I have so many different neurodivergent labels, but for me to really come to terms with that and be okay with it and figure out what it means for me was to go back to that. And for me, I re remembered what made me a good learner at school, what made me interested in subjects and it's that. And it's it goes to even that feeling of self-worth and feeling valued that your voice, no matter how random, how chaos, whatever, you give yourself that space to just ask questions, to see the world and to have an adventure in your brain. So to me, what you've described is really brave. 
And that makes me think about safe spaces and how we can create safe spaces for ourselves and for students to ask questions and, and not know the answer. And then the other side of safe, which is the discomfort, right? You, you're, you're uncomfortable when you don't know. And there's an uncomfort, there's a discomfort that's associated with, with the curiosity. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Because you don't know what the answer's gonna, you, you genuinely don't know if something scary is gonna come out of this vacuum that you're creating. Yeah, and is it there takes- risk, Is there risk here? Oh yeah. Is there threat? How do you take away, how do you maintain risk, Anita? How do you maintain risk without, and then, but remove threat? Just being honest, I think. Go on. And just saying to them, there's been plenty of times when a child has pulled me upon something and gone, oh, I don't think that's quite right. Or, you know, is you know, and I think it is just being able to say to them, okay, A, I might have got something wrong. B, I'll go away and check it and come back to you. And I'm okay with that. I don't feel, you know, that again, it comes back to that thing of you are a human being and you are allowed to get things wrong every now and again. You might be the person that's supposed to be leading them, but you, you might slip up every now and again, and that's okay. And again, it makes you feel more normal and more human and more approachable. You're not this like, you know, this other, you're, you're, yeah. you're one of them. You know, yeah, and you mess strong, up. There's a strong element of humility in it. And it's not about being perfect all the time. It's yeah. about being imperfect. And we're all imperfect. 100%. So always be learning is is predicated on being willing to be imperfect and and uncomfortable. Because if we're saying to them, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. Well, it's okay for us to make mistakes as well. Yeah. It works hand in hand, doesn't it? So And, and that know. thing about it's okay, like, why wouldn't it be okay? Why did we think we needed to be perfect? You know, Rosanna said before, there's a danger in assuming that you know, right? And actually that, Rosanna, do you want to go on? Go on, Dolly. Sorry, I realised I was on mute. Um, no, I was just going to say, actually, um, in terms of where this attitude comes from, I think it's partly because we want to be professional and we want to show that we are worth using as a tutor. We want to make sure that the students feel like we are to an extent an authority on the subject and all of that. But at the same time, I think we have to give students a bit more credit because they know that it's ridiculous to think that anyone is perfect, right? Because something that I've found in my classes is, is that if I do make a mistake or if I say maybe like I get a figure wrong or whatever it might be and a student pulls me up on it, as you said, Anita, that can happen sometimes. I just make a joke and I just say something like, well, I might not always be right, but I'm never wrong. And I just say something stupid like that. And then they have a laugh. And then I say like, on you know, on the rare occasion that I make a mistake and I, I sort of like pretend like I know everything. And then they're kind of laughing because they know that I'm being silly and sarcastic. And that tends to go down really well. And, you know, I, I say if I'm doing like an essay writing class or something like that, I'll say, you know, feel free to have different opinions. You don't have to agree with everything that I think, even though I'm right all the time. And just like silly things like that, I think, um, you know, they they recognise that I'm being sarcastic and then that kind of takes a bit of the pressure off. And they it's that ability to kind of, like you say, be humble, but kind of laugh at yourself a bit and really not nice. take yourself too seriously, I think massively has helped me anyway. That's really, really nice. So um, this lovely book, I know I do this all day long, but I'm not kidding. This is how my brain works. This lovely book, Art of Possibility, has, again, all these different sort of, you know, rules and ideas. And one of them is rule number six, don't take yourself too seriously. 
what are rules number two, one, two, three, four? In fact, there aren't any. It's just rule number six. Don't take it. So remember rule number six is a really lovely thing, right? Don't take yourself too seriously. And for your students to be like, oh, you know, just, just like, just laugh at the idea that you would be perfect yeah. is adorable. But it also, it means that they knew that there was a story that you, you were supposed to be perfect. So, exactly. So, well, yeah. So, but this is going so much more. Oh, Greg, wait, come on, dive in. Hi. Hi. Um, well, you know, I was taking a back seat because, you know, you guys are chitterers and I'm just digesting everything. Um, but I just wrote the comments, you know, like, um, we're working in a world where by making a mistake is not allowed, especially when it comes to exams. So you're right, wrong, right and wrong answers. So how are we supposed to develop uh, children's confidence if they are worried about making mistakes and look silly about making mistakes? But in order to grow a society that we want to live in, we need to go through 10 wrong answers in order to, to come up with the, the best one possible. And, yeah. and I think it was Rosanna that's quoting Socrates. And, you know, he was all about truth. And, um, and you, you know, uh, instead of suppression and, and the factory workers, which we do, we're not looking for. Um, and so, and that's why as well, you know, being a tutor, I feel like the, I remember when I used to get tutored, I felt like a weight of relief in a way because it was about exploring it was about building my confidence got built and i i went in with a perspective um so yes that, that, that. awesome greg you know every time you talk talk like this about tutoring i think of you as a kid struggling in a classroom and wishing that somebody would just slow down and explain it right definitely explain it explain it in a way where i could be like okay and then and then crack on yeah yeah it was yeah it was i hear you i hear you thank you that was so lovely so okay uh juicy question for you ready what's to what is the difference it's not my question it's seth godin's what's the difference between learning and education what's the difference between learning and education jenna's got opinions <laughs> this is something that it comes up a lot and I you and I have had this conversation yeah, before yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's a question that really pisses me off to be does it <laughs> there shouldn't be a different education yeah. is supported learning it's someone guiding that and helping you fill in those gaps and like directing you like teaching isn't about forcing something down someone's throat right and making them memorize it it's you know guiding that journey uh, like if you go back to like the etymology of the the terms we use to refer to educators and the kind of evolution of that role in different countries around the world and how that's changed through like from ancient times and stuff it's never until recently been about that like sure you've had like doctrine experiences with like so many different places so many different spaces but it's always yeah, and I don't think that this segregation is in any way helpful to anyone that, you know, and it comes out to the language that we use to refer yeah. to education and learning, that learning only happens in lessons at school and there's no space for anything anywhere else. It's, ah, oh, yeah. I could forever. Well, but... Does education only happen in school? No. 
So you're suggesting that um, it is a false dichotomy. There is no difference between learning and education or they shouldn't be. I think learning is, I mean, if you go take it thoroughly, literally, yes, there is a difference. Learning is the process of developing, acquiring knowledge and skills and developing all of that. And education is like the thing that is making that happen in certain contexts and education is I'm gonna push you, I'm gonna push you. So you started off earlier in this conversation by saying learning is what makes us human. Yes. Does education make us human? Yes, because it's part of it, because you need guidance and education isn't, you can self-educate, you can educate in different environments with different people, but it's a like the levels, right? Learning is the result of education and education is a specific format of learning that doesn't have loads of specifics that we don't arbitrarily apply to the word. Okay, you really break. Yeah, education is the process. Come on, come on. Education is the process and learning is the outcome. Interesting. That's that's good phrasing, yeah. Anna, what do you reckon? First of all, sorry about my cat. She is all over the place today. She's fantastic. Um, She's climbing through the ruins. She is climbing (laughs) all the time. We've had been away in, I don't know. yeah, I find this uh, this question really difficult um, because I know it's easy to say, well, let's define education. I think we can all agree on what education is without having to go into the nitty gritty of defining the word. But um, the, education happens in different places at different times. And so that's learning. And then there's a very different, um, there's, there's we, I think we need to distinguish between academic education and nice personal education and some of it happens in the home some of, some of it happens in the school and i think that's where conflict takes place quite often because so, there isn't um an agreement as to what should happen where um interestingly it's really interesting hold on hold on hold on let me just share with you so when you're when you're showing the difference between academic education academic education and personal education mm-hmm. you're making it you're showing me that each one is a curriculum or each one is a a style of of it's a thing. I I really when when you compared them, I could really see that. Um, and I wouldn't say the academic. And then if you talk about academic learning and personal learning, they they beginning to have a different texture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in like I'm gonna tell you an anecdote just Come to on. show you um the the um, the intricacies of the topic. In uh, Catalonia, where I'm from, we had for many years a department of teaching, and then they changed the name to the Department of Education, and the debate that that sparked was absolutely astonishing. And the name has changed a few times in my lifetime, actually. Goes Did back it ever before. become the, the, the Department of Learning? Uh, Ensenyament, which is a similar word to to teaching. No, not learning. Not learning. <laughs> I, I work, my, my head of governors in my primary school where I worked was amazing and the best thing he ever said to me was take your eye off the teaching watch the learning Mm. and for me that was a a real paradigm shift Mm. Rosanna is this conversation helpful is the thinking behind it helpful yeah for sure I I think for me going back to the difference between learning and education 
I think the thing that strikes me is that learning can kind of happen anywhere. And I know we've talked about how education can too, um, not just in the school arena, but for me, education always makes me think of something a lot more formal, like you say, curriculum based. And I think learning can happen anywhere. Like, for example, if someone's going through a personal experience, I don't think many people say I was educated and now I've learned this. Right. I think they would say, well, I've learned from this experience that, you know, if, it, if it's a personal thing. So I just think by the way that we use the words differently, I do think there is a difference. Um, but I agree that perhaps that difference should be, you know, lessened in a way because there is benefit to not sticking too rigidly to a particular type of learning that the school deems to be the only one again go back to what we were talking about before everything being exam focused you can learn or be educated in how to pass an exam but it doesn't necessarily mean that you've learned holistically and skills that would actually benefit you thereafter so go on Anna oh yeah I just wanted to 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 bring our attention to the cultural difference as well because I think um as people who have been brought up in the UK or educated in the UK as we've in my country um you understand education as something more formal but in other parts of europe and in latin speaking countries in particular for us education is something that happens in the home and it has to do with the creation of manners and in fact if a person is being rude you say that they're poorly educated rather than they're being rude or having bad manners so this is something that parents do and it's in the original sense of the word of taking you out and 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 helping you learn and 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 br bringing you up basically so that's an interesting one i think that has to do with the debate that we had uh, in my home country i was talking about uh, earlier it was parents who were quite upset that education is something that has to happen in the home not in the school because it's bringing people up and teaching them about life so yeah. It's... Okay, I've got. Maybe we should have been defining okay. the words before we started. No, no, I love it. I love it. No, it. It's useful to go, but I'm coming to you in a second, Jenna. Okay, this is what's happening in my mind. So, you're saying you raise a child up, right? So they they they're born as this like lumpen, ill-mannered, demanding, you know, solipsistic, selfish little. Necessarily, it could be like a rough diamond. They're not. Oh, you're right. No, they're need to be negative. But, but through the process of educating them at home, you polish that diamond, you you develop manners, you help it to shine, you help it to function in the world. Yeah, okay, very nice. Now, then if you think about Jenna talking about a toddler as being a natural learner, constantly open and curious and how we quash that, is it that education is something that improves over time or should improve over time, whereas learning is some innate ability that, um, somehow we create conflict between the two things so the education somehow reduces the learning I don't, I'm literally just making this up but you need to bring up children to live in the society that we have I'm trying that we want I'm, re I'm really um, trying they, they need they can't be left to their own devices even if learning <laughs> comes to them naturally because they might learn <laughs> I mean yeah. we, can, we can then go to um, I'm sure Rosanna will be better at this than me and we could talk about Rousseau and the ideas that there's good in us and if you would let them experience the consequences yeah. of their acts etc but not everyone agrees with that for you so my my mum used to call me a free-range parent I can just imagine <laughs> right but but when you said before Anna that we can all agree on a general concept of education mm -hmm. I'm really really curious about the fact that that may not be true 
that parents have different agendas and uh, traumas and experiences and assumptions sitting behind them when we're defining what an education is for the child. And that's becoming quite an interesting element here. Jenna, you did have your hand up and I was, my brain was bubbling too fast. Sorry, go for it. That's fine. Um, how, so a couple of different things. My head is going all over the place. So all right. this topic is a genuine big thing that happens. Like, how scientific do you want to go? Because genuinely, you've got, you've got 12 minutes. They, this is part of a lot of what is being studied and academicized. And there's that side of things that takes it really, really technically. But it's not necessarily it's fascinating i genuinely love diving into that side of things but it's not necessarily helpful in terms of what we do about yeah. it yeah because like i grew up across different countries when experienced multiple different entirely different school systems kind sometimes simultaneously so i went to school partly in spain partly in the uk and i went to a religious school as well um that is not a mainstream religion like it wasn't a christian religion. and it was it's really interesting to see the completely different approaches to what education means what learning means and how each of those are approached and utilized and i think it comes down to there are so many different ways of approaching this right it comes down to the specific language that is used around these topics societally in your areas in kind of your life experiences as well as within your education and legal systems because those terms are defined legally within different education right. systems a right to education and a responsibility to educate your child. Yes. Right. We don't say that a child has a right to learning and we have right. a responsibility to enable our child to learn. Interesting. Exactly. And you can learn how to learn and you have to learn how to learn. But you do, it's one of the things that makes acquiring skills a thing for any, it's not just humans, right? Like, um, I have a dog. My dog is extremely highly trained because she's an assistance dog and she has to learn that. But she also, I have to teach her how she needs to learn the things. What's the difference between learning learn and training, to... Jenna? Jenna, what's the difference between exactly. learning and training? Well, quite. And I think that that's exactly it. And I think that sometimes that's one of the things that's problematic. If we change our approach and our thoughts around it to think more about training and coaching that's what teaching is that's what tutelage is that's where the term tutor kind of comes closer to coaching so for me training is like so anita can i call on you for a second because um in terms of in terms of uh, teacher training and in terms of what you'll do with a child with number bonds times tables spelling rules you will train them because that's what the word that I would use because you want to embed information in their long-term memory so that they can recall it if you wake them up in the middle of the night. What's four times four? That's the only one I know. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm not joking. So so that's that's what you would be able to recall. What are your thoughts so, on- What's the difference between that then and every, the other terms? Because that definition of training sounds a lot like what other people have been saying about other things 
Maybe. I mean, because when you said dog, when you said you're a well-trained dog, that means that her instincts are not to bite in a in a crisis situation, but to be on the helping team. Not necessarily. Sorry, Anita, I called. Anita, go, oh, go, no, go for it. No, I know. I'm no, but a I did. a blank moment here. Oh, okay, so no, no, go okay, for it. Thanks, love. Thank you. So, so, so to me, training means habituating. Rosanna, one, in one task. Training would be in, maybe in one or two tasks. Okay. You did a very limited, uh, narrow focus. Okay. Yeah, I would second that. I would say that if you're talking about training somebody, it suggests that there's a set criteria that they have to meet, whereas learning yeah. is a lot more loose and general and you can learn about absolutely anything in any way in some cases. Yeah. And I think training, like, for example, if you start a job, you have your training rather than yeah. your education or your learning. Yes. And the idea is that you become like qualified to use that word. So. Fantastic. Okay, awesome. So if you go to McDonald's, if you start working at McDonald's, they give you training. They don't give you learning. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So to come full circles, because we now have nine minutes, what does it mean to always be learning as opposed to getting trained or getting educated? If, I'd run, if I'd delivered a session that said, always be educated, you may not have come. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Anita? I was reading a report which said uh, nearly 9,000 children with special education needs are not are missing out on schooling. So well, what are they learning? So, so now they're not in education. So are they learning good things, bad things? Who's, who's, are they learning are they? that people don't yeah. care? Yeah. Go ahead, Anita. I was going to say, for me, learning is self-directed, isn't it? It's it's not receiving passively something. It's just being in, in charge and directing what is happening to you. Um. So, yeah, it just puts you... In the, in the driving seat. So that's 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 the distinction in my mind. Yeah, learning that, that resonates with me also. Go on, Anna. No, I was just going to say, learning is an attitude as well. It's a mode. It's like you turn on the learning mode and you keep it on. It's not about what you do, but about how you do it and with what purpose you do it. Okay. Hmm. What else? You're asking me what else or everyone else? No, I want to see who else in the room wants to throw something oh. in at the stage. Okay, fab. So my question to you is this, to, to, to wrap this up, because we got way philosophical and abstract there for a second, but I really want you to have a um, a practical takeaway. Um, what are you going to do? I hate these questions. I never do these questions. I'm rubbish at answering them. What's on your mind in terms of learning next? So where is your curiosity sitting? That's a better question for me. What are you curious about at the moment? So, health. Oh, sorry. Great. Sorry. Do you, know, do you know, I just want to drop that first thing that came to my mind was health and being conscious because we're not getting educated or trained or whatever in school. Well, we need to, I think that as a standard, you know, how do we look after ourselves, whether it's physically and mentally, because you, if you do certain things already, you're at the best place in order to digest information and, um, you know, on that. So I think there's something around that. Awesome. Anna, go ahead. I don't know exactly what I was going to say. I think I was going to just talk about what I've been doing for a while yeah. and how I want to do more of it. 
I've been investing in fantastic tutors for myself, which <gasps> is something quite new, actually. But um, I've um, changed the way I teach Latin in the last couple of years. And I've been very interested in speaking, becoming a, like a fluent speaker of the language and a fluent writer of the language rather than just somebody who knows the language, which is what happens often with Latin. And so I've done some research and I found some of the best speakers out there and I just like splurge on it. Every week I have two or three lessons and I enjoy myself so much and it's helping me so much with my teaching as well. So it's it feels to me like you're talking about well-being as well as professional development. Yes. Mm. There's a fulfillment there as well. It, it, it's always struck me that the best cure for imposter syndrome is professional development. Mm. Yeah. So, so, you know, for example, I know that Charlotte Watson uses Andrea Gadsby to support her in tutoring in English GCSE. Now, Charlotte was a head of year. She jolly no, head of head of English. She jolly well knows what it's supposed to look like. But having somebody there to help you is and, and it's mentoring and it's coaching and it's tutoring, yes. it's having a tutor. So you're in the learning mode. I am in a learning mode at the moment, yes. Rosanna, what are you learning at the moment? So a lot of my prep for lessons is actually coming from just watching the news and looking at different media outlets because I'm fortunate enough to be teaching some really interesting topics at the moment, a lot of which requires knowledge of current affairs. So to give a more concrete example, I'm just about to teach, um, and I've done it before, but an essay writing course for the John Locke Institute essay competition. I just find the titles so interesting because they're very relevant to things that are happening now. So, for example, some of the questions that they've just published for this year for the junior prize um, is, is there life after death? Which is super interesting. So a lot of my research has been surrounding that and near death experiences and stuff. So I've done a lot on that. Um, Has the anti-racism movement actually reduced racism? So that's really interesting. Um, So just questions along that line and uh, when will ad- when will advancing technology make most of us unemployable? What should we do about this? Um, so that's pretty hard hitting and interesting. So basically just thinking about big philosophical questions is what I do most of the time. So continuing to do that. I totally love hearing about your tutoring. I get that. Every time I speak to you, I'm like, it's the open-endedness of it that's so interesting. And parents that will invest in having the children have that opportunity to do that thinking. That's immense. Kamal, you've already told uh, us at the beginning. Tell us more. You know, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a school governor uh, and I'm, I'm, I've been nominated for online um, safety, safeguarding. So I just have been trying to, I have to, as part of that, I'm, I have to learn more about, you know, KC, SIE, so keeping children safe in education. And, and then it's, it's, you know, there's so many things also working with the with the with the school head as well, just to make sure that we are we we, we are we keep the children safe, really. Yeah, that's really. And, the, and they're also the also also encouraging them to 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 look more at the, the mental health as well, because from following on from my course, yeah. I, I'm encouraging them to have a kind of a policy or something. Yeah. For, for for the mental health as well. Fantastic. So we were talking about policies in the group earlier and in the WhatsApp group, and we were saying that policies should destru- describe your best practice, right? Rather than just being a, a policy that you download from offline. It should really be how you want to be and then and then describe it and then continue to aspire to it. Um, Jenna, what are you learning at the moment? 
I prefer your what are you curious about question because I have an answer for that one. Come on then. Um, and Why not the, the same question? That... Did we not just do that? You started with the curiosity <laughs> question and then you've gone back to right. The... You're right. Because um, I feel like right now they feel like different things for me. So the thing that I'm curious about is why are false in a very literal sense restrictions placed on learning? Um, I am trying to learn specific things around, um, it's very neuroscience based around um, specifically ADHD and different types of medication and um, digestion and stuff. and. I am facing a barrier in that I either have to have a PhD and be known to have a PhD to be able to access so much of this research and knowledge, um, or um, I have to be attached to some sort of accredited official, whatever the word is, university to be able to access it, in which case um, I have to pay as well for that. what why I just want to know why my brain is working the way it is and yeah, the irony of that is immense isn't it locking you out of information is just so yeah unhelpful that is interesting why is that happening because one of the um beautiful things that has happened to me recently was realizing that in order to keep researching I don't need to do a PhD you can actually sir join certain societies like for example i joined the hellenic society and then i can use the the university library and i can like contact people and talk to them so i wonder what precise is it like lab work that's happening at the moment and that's why they're not letting you in what's happening i don't understand it's it's a specific thing that i actually um no, I know the answer in a technical sense, because it is something that is currently being uh, debated and addressed and discussed worldwide. It's a worldwide issue. Um, on the literal barriers, so the, the financial barrier, the attachment to some sort of university or equivalent situation, and this barrier in language as well, this restriction around what type of language can be used or is allowed to be used in academic research papers whether in like prestigious journals or not even self-published um is a real real thing um and it essentially boils down to um uh, i don't know the word right now in english but like uh this idea of what an academic person is this this you know uh, we must have a session on that. Okay. We must have a session on that that's... language and what an academic person looks like and sounds like. Okay. There's so many barriers there. Some really interesting. Hold that thought, Jenna. I always close on time. Anita, <laughs> you got thirty seconds. What are you learning at the moment? It's tech. That's it. That's it. Good for you. Very, very Good for you. I tell you what I'm learning. I tell you what I'm learning. I'm learning what works and I'm learning what resonates and I'm really enjoying it. Thank you for your time. Thank you for participating. See you again next week. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Rosanna. Thanks, Jenna. Thanks, Thanks Kamal. Everyone. Thanks, everyone. It was lovely. Thanks, Ashmita. Really Thank well. you. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.